Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim. And Shannon. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome to Right Spokane Perspective. We are on this Monday episode. We have guest in studio with us today in Darren Wold. We've got to kind of finish out a discussion from Friday. Go grab that podcast, listen to it. We're going to hit some of the details of of that, and then we'll jump into the American Stonehenge and Nephilim. But uh, Dr. Ken Johnson has uh, done some wonderful research. We'll talk about that in just a moment after inspiration. Our inspiration today is monkeying with the cosmos. In the early 1980s, a prominent astronomer who didn't believe in God wrote, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology. To this scientist's eye, the evidence showed that something had designed everything we observe in the cosmos. He added, there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. In other words, everything we see looks as if it was planned by someone, and yet the astronomer remained an atheist. 3,000 years ago, another intelligent man looked at the skies and drew a different conclusion. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them, wondered David. Yet God cares for us deeply. The universe tells the story of its intelligent designer, the super intellect, who made our minds and put us here to ponder his work. Through Jesus and his creation, God can be known. Paul wrote, Christ existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. The cosmos has indeed been monkeyed with. The identity of the intelligent designer is there to be discovered by anyone willing to seek it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you can be known through your creation. We pray for those who don't see you. Please draw them near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad that there's people that are drawn near to him uh, all over this world, uh, even in this country, even in bad times. Uh, Sometimes those bad times mean that things are destroyed, like the times of Babylon or other times where they destroyed artifacts, they destroyed the scrolls, they destroyed, uh, you know, tried to destroy history. And indeed they failed because it survived uh, through generations in other ways. There was other you know, scrolls that were found. And we talked about that a little bit um, on Friday's show. And one of the the people that Darren Wold is following is uh, Dr. Ken Johnson, right? Yes, Dr. Ken Johnson. And so t- tell us a little bit to transition from Friday's show into this show today. So when we finished up that last little uh, section on that uh uh, Q13 Melchizedek scroll. Um, Dr. Johnson was so excited because here it is. It's it's revealing this time that the righteous and elect are going to be removed. And the way the language is going, it actually sounded like they were going to give not only this window of opportunity of seven years, but probably even going to give months, weeks, days, probably even hours. I mean, that's where they were going in the specifics of the language they were using. The language in these scrolls. In the scrolls. But the problem is that part of the scroll was completely 
decayed and turned to dust and it was gone. It was gone. And it, you can see how it just, it just disappears. The scroll does not the writing, the writing's there, but it's gone. And I love Ken's response was, Oh Lord, why couldn't you have just left the rest of that scroll alive so I could read it? And in the background, I could hear his wife going, honey, it's because in the Bible, it says no man will know the day or the hour. And he's just like, oh. So, so in these scrolls, the day and the hour disappeared. <laughs> yes, it did. It's not there. Um, but it probably wasn't one time. But the Lord made sure that part disintegrated completely. So, so because that we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. <laughs> That's right. Well, it, it, you know, it's it's kind of like the, the child. You don't want them to be good just when mom and dad are around. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. And, and that's, yeah. The, that's the thing. If you know when mom and dad are getting home from work, that's when you hurry up and act like you got your chores done. And... They, you weren't watching uh, MTV or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's just the way it goes. And and so we, we have to have that accountability of not knowing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, yep. and we don't know it all. We do have an all-knowing God. We don't know it all. But we do know that there is documents and history and things that you have explored that have brought you down this road of understanding the Nephilim and the American Stonehenge, which we're talking about today. Yeah. So I, I told you guys uh, in a previous episode, I got a chance to go see the Great Serpent Mounds uh, that I believe is Nephilim structure and a very fantastic place. And it's just one of the many structures we have throughout North America that show Nephilim architecture. And one of the places I came across when I was doing these types of studies is um, there's a place in New Hampshire called the American Stonehenge. And it is a small miniature version, I guess you'd say, of the Stonehenge in England, where the Stonehenge in England has great big, huge carved monolith stones. Uh, The Stonehenge in America, in New Hampshire, there is a small privately owned park um, that has a museum and the stones are much smaller but they're still in a, um, what you'd call someone like a bicycle wheel where you have a center stone that then corresponds with the summer solstice, the winter solstice, the spring equinox, the summer equinox, or, or excuse me, the fall equinox. So this and is something I'm not educated on at all, really. I just remember so Stonehenge it was like, was this thing in the center like an altar? Yeah. And then you had the sun and like you said, different times, it falls in different places. And like civilizations that were uh, worshiping Satan or something uh, used this for their purposes? Yeah, so you're talking Nephilim architecture. Who are the Nephilim? Well, we would have called them probably the tribes of the Canaanites that Joshua, Moses, they chased Caleb, chased out of the, the promised land. The giants. Yeah, the giants and... There were people with them. It wasn't just giants, but yes, those are the tribes. Well, the giants always have to have slaves. Oh, yeah, they do. They do. And so they come over here, and as they're setting up their civilization, they're going to build these types of structures that you, you again, some of the things that they've done, the accuracies, it just how can you do that? We can, we, we can barely do that with our modern technology. How could you do that in 13 or 1400 BC? You understand the date and the time. So you're the, like, wow. This American Stonehenge, so this is a privately owned park. Yes, so privately you visited owned. the park and the museum? I didn't get to. I'm hoping someday to, but that was, uh, at the time we were over there, we were, we were in Kentucky and Ohio, and uh, we didn't have the chance to get up there, but I had already done the research on that. Um, it's interesting. It's in, 
I think we're now in the third generation of a of the same family that has owned it. Um, great grandpa bought it, and then grandpa then got it from him, and now grandpa and his son are taking care of it. So it was like like in an archaeological site that they found. Yeah, what they, they what it is is you've got these rocks, like I said, kind of in a bicycle wheel format that are pointing at the solstices and the equinoxes, and then there is on the property an altar stone. They have a place where there is a great big flat stone that has been carved on all the outside edges for what you'd call a blood trough. Trough. So when you sacrifice something there, all the blood would then go to the trough, and then it would pour out into a container on one end where there's a little notch in the stone. And even more crazy is there are similarities in that to some of the things we found in the land of Canaan, in the, in the land where Israel is right today. Um, there are rocks piled up in such a format and made so that if people are out there sacrificing, someone could be underneath a section of the stones, hidden completely from sight, and you'd never know they're there. And yet they could be talking through a small little opening three or four feet away, back behind everything, and making sound occur right there from under that altar stone. Almost like uh, a spirit was talking or saying something. Very interesting, very weird stuff like this. So, so maybe a, an avenue in which uh, worshipers of whatever kind could think that they're in this spiritual experience and that God or the God of the stars or some mythical whatever uh, the doctrine wanted to create was speaking to them as they were sacrificing uh, either their livestock or their children. Yeah, whichever it was, I don't know. I don't really want to know. But one of the things they did find right beneath that was an actual stele, um, which is a stone that has been carved on in ancient language. And um, I believe there was a, a college professor from the East Coast that was visiting the site, and he saw this little stone that they had. It's, it's in a nice little glass case. They keep it inside. And he just walked up, and he was like, oh, that's interesting. That's uh, pre-Canaanite Hebrew. I can, I can translate that for you. You want me to translate that for you? And he, he writes it down, does a rubbing of the stone. He takes it back and he comes back and tells him, uh, this is in dedication to Baal um, of the Canaanites. Wow. Uh, what, in the United um, States? In the United States? How, how did that get here? Uh, I thought we had this isolationism uh, as an idea of how the world happened in historical progress and that people here never had contact with people over there. And that's what we've been taught in school. But here we have a stone that's actually professing to be from the land of Canaan, the people which of Canaan, people of Canaan that are the people clear back over there in what we call the land of Israel, um, in Syria, um, in Jordan. And it's professing to be of those people in dedication to their God, Baal into their God, Baal. So does this give people, uh, now this is not something that's, you know, some weird conspiracy. That no, you, you go look with. at this. You can go online, you go can online, you can American go see it. Stone hand. So, when you're looking at this, is this like an excuse you say, oh, well, Pangea, right? I, I've heard people say that. Um, I don't believe that at all. And I teach against that in my creation series when I teach that because there's some very obvious facts. If people want to say, well, doesn't South America look like it fits up into Africa? And I go, well, there's a problem. There is something between South America and Africa. And I commonly get people go, oh, you mean the Atlantic Ocean? No, 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 no. If you take the water away, there's dirt. 
Yeah. There's land there. Yeah. There's and a lot of land. Well, it slowly crept over and, and it touched and it was together. And you're like, well. Over 50 billion years. I, yeah, I, I, I have real problems with that. Number yeah. one, we don't see that at all. We see tectonic movements. The plates occasionally move this way and that way. Kind of like you're, imagine if you've got the skin of an orange and you peeled it all off and then you put it back on and it's just kind of moving around on there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what we see. We don't see anywhere near some of the stuff they're trying to tell us. They, they really push these things so far. but with Theories. These theories. But the problem is the proofs are very weak and they don't hold up very well. And I think what you're looking at, the continents, they're just the areas that there were not fountains of the deep underneath. And when the ocean basins appeared they appeared because when the water that was underneath came to the surface to flood the earth then what happens to those they They sink down because there's air and now they become the waters on top of the dirt instead of under the dirt and that creates our oceans well in the basins in the pangea thing it it doesn't line up for me because of archaeology they find things uh pre-flood post-flood you know so it just it doesn't work it doesn't work now the interesting thing with stonehenge so uh, there's a the family there that that is in control that owns the property and runs the museum. Uh, one of their young son, the young son there, uh, he's in his twenties, and one day he was just playing around on his laptop, and he popped up Stonehenge right there, and he got it on Google Maps, and he made a line starting from the center stone in their little wheel there in their American Stonehenge, and he thought, I wonder if I make this go out over the summer solstice stone, I wonder if I can continue it on. I wonder where it goes. So we have to find out where that goes after the break, because we did discuss this on another one of our shows, or maybe it was after the show that we discussed this. And it's, it's very profound. So folks don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back with Darren Wold. The citizens Alliance for property rights has published our ratings of 2023 candidates for office in Washington state. Find these on our website at caper.us C-A-P-R dot U-S. Councilman Arnie Woodard and former state representative and council candidate Rob Chase of the city of Spokane Valley were both rated outstanding property rights advocates. Among those candidates rated good by CAPER are Nadine Woodward, Kim Pleece, Michael Cathcart, Earl Moore, Jessica Yeager, and Erica Lalka. Go to our website for more ratings. That's caper.us, C-A-P-R dot U-S. Tim and Shannon have published their interviews of many candidates on their website. Find those at rightspokaneperspective.com. Finally, don't forget to mail in your ballots by November 7th. Good candidates are counting on you to vote. And welcome back to this Monday episode with Darren Wold. We're talking about American Stonehenge. And we were just drawing the line as we jumped off into the break. And we weren't like drawing the line on the discussion. We were drawing the line of, actually, we weren't drawing the line. The owners of the American Stonehenge property were drawing a line and using modern technology to find out where it went. Yeah, it was very interesting when this young gentleman 
put the starting point at the center of the of the circle there at the American Stonehenge and then drew a line from that center point over the stone that existed for the summer solstice and then continued it on because he thought, oh, I wonder where this goes. And so using Google Maps, he's able to just keep going and going. And he's, yeah, he's just scrolling across the Atlantic Ocean. And as he scrolls across the Atlantic Ocean in somewhat sort of a northeasternly pass, he, he realized, oh, wow. I'm going right toward Great Britain. This is interesting. As he's going through Great Britain, he stops and he he realizes as he starts to open up the British Isles and look closely, oh, this this is amazing. This is going right over Stonehenge in England. So then he opens it up further and he realizes, oh, not only does it go over Stonehenge in England, it hits the center trilithon perfectly. In England. In England. So this is the Stonehenge that everybody everybody at, knows about, right? Knows about, right? So then, once he does that, he goes, "Okay, this this is amazing, but this can't be coincident, can it?" So then he starts to take lines and take them off all the other points and extend them across the globe, and it's it blows your mind when you realize, okay, this line goes to the Great Pyramids in Giza. This line goes to Easter Island. This line goes over the pyramids in Mexico. This line goes clear down to Sasuke Woman in South America, Peru. So, it just starts to blow your mind. These are all what I would okay. call Nephilim sites. So if somebody wanted to research themselves, they could find this these lines and, and the American Stonehenge, this information on the internet, and, and could figure out. So what about the, uh, isn't there a Stonehenge, like a replica thing in Oregon or something? Yeah, there's there's one down here. It's actually, I think it's on the Washington side. Oh, it's uh, on the, wa- well, it makes sense. Uh, down by the gorge. The yeah, side. yeah, it's on the Washington side. So, but this is, that that one's just a man-made It's just replica. a man-made, and it has nothing to do with any of this. It was recently done. It's just more of a. Nothing to do with the ancient significance no. of all these other sites. So you're talking no. about. An ancient site yeah. that was found archaeologically, private property. They're drawing these lines across these stones and and an altar, yeah. basically. And they're hitting these Nephilim sites all over the all globe. Over the globe. And the trick is, think about this, guys. For us to do it, we can use Google Maps, right? But if you're going to do this at any time before computers and the ability that we have and even GPS global positioning. Well, this is before they even had good professional uh, people that did mapping. Like you could go back in history and even not, you know, colonial history or, you know, go back, you know, hundred years or less than a thousand years and they're drawing maps and you look at Google, you look at the map versus what you see on Google earth and you're like, wow, they're a ways off. Yeah. So how did they nail this perfectly at the time of, and we're talking about when is this happening? Well, it's a time that um, Moses, you know, and, and Caleb and Joshua were chasing the uh, Canaanites out of the, out of the land of Canaan so that the people of Israel could have their land. I mean, this is in between 14 and 1300 BC and they were able to assemble these stones and know precisely the locations. Now, remember, it's over the curvature of the earth. Even if you could look that way, you couldn't see it because there's the curvature of the earth that interferes. You would somehow have to have a bird's eye view to put all this together. Or supernatural. Or supernatural help. And that's possible too, for speaking of the Nephilim. We know that they have... Um, well, we talked a few episodes <laughs> about this, how the the... the uh, fallen angels mm-hmm. impregnated with women. It's biblical. It's in the Bible. Yep, it's not yep. just in uh, other texts. Yep. And so then they created these 
beings from these women that were half Nephilim, half human, right? Yep, yep. Hybrids, if you would. Hybrids. Hybrids, yeah. And then, so the interesting thing is, all over the um, the United States, we have these mounds that were left. And uh, when I got to go visit that Great Serpent Mound, you know, the, the thing that just drives me nuts is here in our nation, um, our park system and our government has said, well, these were... These were made by the American Indians, the natives, the indigenous people. That, that just happened to have enormous dump trucks. Uh, yeah, because some of these mounds, I mean, these are incredible. They're, they're off this, the charts, how big they are. Uh, the pyramid complex that's, um, I think it's Mississippi, the Mississippi Mound or Miamisburg Mound, um, that uh, is the size of 200 miles of 20-yard dump trucks lined up end to end to end to end. And they did it in a period of less than supposedly ten years, which so you're yeah, that's a lot of Native Americans with the that's job more than the population that ever existed on the plant on on our continent. Right, we so never had that many. Two hundred miles <clears throat> of dump trucks lined mm-hmm. up to to build up these these mounds by individuals that at the time, according to archaeology, were using the jawbones of deer to dig. And shoulder bones, yeah, jaw bones and shoulder bones to dig, and then these little weaved baskets, um, and they carry them on their back, you know, maybe 20, 30 pounds of dirt, and they throw it in a pile and step on it, and then they'd run and go get the next one. Now, I, I know so. it's starting to get a little ridiculous, but just to do that, we're, we're talking something on the range of 2 million people working around the clock for like... A hundred years, and yeah, not happening. it's not happening because they never had two million people, as far as the indigenous tribes on this continent before the white men showed up. So this was something also supernaturally inspired. Yes, and probably yes. just looking at the kind of the religious theologies and the different things, probably not God. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's his uh, opponent, <laughs> the one that rebelled. Um, and th- there's some crazy geometry and uh, math in some of the calculations of the mounds. Uh, some of the mounds down in the uh, Ohio River Valley had some incredible geometric shapes. Um, there's one that's an octagonal shape, but it's not quite. It has a certain length on some of the sides that you would really have to work to make perfect, and it is perfect and it's so big you can only see it from like a thousand feet in the air when you're on the ground it just looks like there's hills there's bumps but as you get up into the air you realize that's a perfect extended octagon how did they make that and this is where i say that the u.s government and our park service has done the indigenous people a great disservice because the original people that came here in the early 1600s, 1700s, when they saw these things and they asked the American Indians, did you make these? Where did these come from? They said, no, we did not make these. We found these. That's written in their history. They understand that. Their oral history has been passed down that way. But then, yet when you talk to the way they they put it out now is they say that, Noel, they say they didn't build them, but they actually forgot they did. But they really did build them. And to me, that is that is literally a slap in the face to these people saying you're just not smart enough to remember you did, but you really did. Well, that's kind of what we've done. We see that uh, recently, like we talked on on Friday's show about uh, folks that want to be, you know, smarter than history, smarter than God, smarter than the uh, archaeological finds. And uh, they just well, we'll just attribute it to this because it makes a convenient uh, story for us to tell. Yeah. So I, I guess what I put together here is it's, it's kind of interesting that you actually can go here in the United States, continental United States, and you can go visit these sites that 
would be called the mound builders and they're they're attributed to the american indians yet i would tell you what you're looking at is nephilim architecture and what's interesting is actually if you dig into them and we have most of them contained very large skeletons in most cases you were looking at people seven eight nine ten feet or more and multiple and male and female and the other thing, too, is very interesting. So these are the giants that were chased out of yeah, Canaan. Yeah, out of Canaan, the Canaanites. Um, very interesting uh, apparel that they would wear. A lot of them had a lot of copper on them. It's just a very interesting thing. I kept coming across over and over uh, copper chain mail, uh, copper shielding, copper swords. So you swords. came across these things in your research. So yeah. some of this research you're doing online. So yep. you're looking at historical documents, foundations that have done research, mm-hmm. uh, doctors in archaeology doing the research. So this is this is not secret, but it yeah. is kind of being held secret to some extent. Oh, yeah. Because we're not yeah. educating people on it. It's not part of a class mm-hmm. that you would take in college or high school. No, no. And, and so this is information that's out there. It's readily available. And you're looking at these things in your research saying, wait a minute, okay, so it's obviously not just mounds made by Native Americans, and you're looking at this copper and these precious metals that were on beings that, of course, archaeologists sometimes will say, oh, well, we carbon dated. It's from uh, 455,000 billion years ago, and, you know, they just create numbers out, yeah, of, out of thin air. But we do know that it was long enough back in the in history that there is no technology to create those kinds of things in anywhere in the world that we've archaeologically found outside of these uh, native american slash nephilim mounds yeah very interesting and the other thing too to add to that whole idea of copper armaments um we know and this is common knowledge you can look this up up in the area around the great lakes there's some huge copper deposits and copper mines and some of them have been massively mined to the point that this is where it gets really interesting there has been more copper ore removed from those sites than the known copper reserves on the planet so all the copper in all the buildings in all the cars in everything that uses copper in this world isn't enough to fill what's been removed from just these areas around the great lakes now these where areas is all the that lakes? copper going? Yeah, where is it going? Now, now is this? Are you talking about mining that occurred in modern times? No, this is ancient about, times. So you're talking about the mining that occurred that predated uh, the white men showing up on this continent. White men showing up on this continent. That's right. And I think, again, I think if you if you research into that, you're going to find out uh, that it had its roots in the Nephilim that showed up over here. And for some reason, and I'm still, this is active uh, active research I'm in right now, is to figure out what it was that was so important to the Nephilim with this copper. Why is it that they use copper all the time in so many of their different, um, whether it was costume or whether it was actual armaments, uh, chain mail, weaponry, they seem to have copper a lot. It seems to be very important to them, and they were using it at all times, and they were mining it like crazy. I don't know why yet. Well, it's a great conductor. Oh, it is, and it, we use it in wiring everywhere. Yeah. So we know the electrical side of it is very important. Was there another use that we don't know? And that's kind of where I'm at. I'm trying to figure out why is it they thought it was so important? Because they didn't go after steel. They didn't go after all these other items, gold and silver, things that, you know, the white men were going after. They went after copper. Copper seems to be high on their list. Well, gold was 
Gold was uh, predates that time period, oh, yeah. you know. So there Definitely. was, but a very small amount. So that's why gold is so mm-hmm. precious. But copper, once polished, kind of looks like gold. Oh yeah, yeah. There's some interesting, interesting properties there. Um, and uh, again, the active research. I'm I'm still going down that rabbit hole. And so you're if an I can come research, up for air, right? <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to dig into that and figure out uh, other than you know building electric cars and and wiring in our houses and and electric motors and things. We'll have to figure out what the ancients liked copper for because I think I think. You know, if I just had to throw a theory out there, I think that uh, the land of um, milk, milk and honey and golden roads, <laughs> maybe they were trying to reproduce that using using copper for the people that uh, worshipped the giants, mm. uh, for their slaves to stay enslaved in fear of, of those that had the power of the gold, which was actually copper. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But it'll be interesting to hear where your research leads you. And I want to thank Darren Wold for coming in because your research has opened up a, a lot of interesting things, uh, like the calendar months of the year and, and how we've been misled on uh, human history. And it's, it's great that archaeologists and some of the people you follow, like uh, Dr. Ken Johnson, Johnson. Mm-hmm. and uh, it just opens up doors to realities that we don't otherwise know. And one more little caveat I'll throw in there. Um, for any people that are interested in, in seeing some of these uh, uh, serpent mounds, the, uh, the Ohio River Valley mounds, uh, American Stonehenge, there's a really good series. It's a video series that's put out by a wonderful Christian man. His name is L.A. Marzulli, and it's his Nephilim series. And if you want to see a series that will actually walk you down a lot of this, uh, he's already been there, done that, uh, had the drone footage. So you get to see it in color, and, and here is a opinion on, on a lot of this and uh, that's a really good place to start so if you want to actually purchase something you go find his dvds and you can check those out yourself and uh, so he online you can find him yep. it's la la just like l a <laughs> okay la marzuli marzuli yep. all right that being said folks we will be with you again tomorrow bye-bye you have been listening to Right Spokane Perspective. We are sponsored by Right Spokane Perspective LLC and made possible by advertisers you hear and contributions from listeners like you.